This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the studio is Flick Ford. Hi, Paul. Just the two of us. Yeah. We're doing a bit of <laughs> equidistant social distancing here. We're so far away. I feel like I need a little megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we have these things. Microphones. Yes. <laughs> I've got a um, – I'm trying to project my voice today because I, uh, I feel like being in uh, quarantine, it's yeah. just, uh, you know, you're not talking to people, you're just staring at a screen all day. <laughs> so <laughs> I've lost my ability to talk. To project. Like, yes. Thinking of everyone like this. Forgot how to interact with humans. <laughs> it is It is a, a weird time and I just kind of want to say a little thing before we kick off the episode. So before we launch into things – we here would just like to take a few moments to say that the world right now seems so vastly different from the one we broadcasted from last week. Yeah. Um, and everyone here on the Primal Screen team would just like to acknowledge how tough a time we're all having right now. Um, probably the most uncertain time many of us have faced in our lifetimes. Certainly anyone that's been born post-war, I think, or not come here from another war-torn country or it's for Australian kind of people here, it's yeah, it's probably the most challenging, odd time we've faced, um, particularly in the arts and entertainment and hospitality industries, uh, those of you on benefits and those of you without a home or in difficult home situations. And we just want to let you know that we do see you, we hear you, and we do care about you. Uh, we're not alone. We're all in this together. We wish you well. We wish you strength. And while this will be our last show in the studio for a little while, next week we're going to be broadcasting to you from our individual homes. <laughs> yes. Uh, in, as a little experiment uh, via Zoom. And um, Please be kind to us as well. This is a <laughs> – we're not sure how this is going to go. <laughs> next week, let's yes. – yeah, let's just, you know, all cross our fingers. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we're going to be doing that, uh, so we can keep bringing you our weekly dose of film news, reviews, and nonsense to make this challenging time just a little more bearable. Uh, even as cinemas around the country close, around the country close, we'll continue to fill your ears with reviews of films, new and old, hitting streaming services and online rental channels over the next few months. In our own silly, tiny way, we'll be here for you as long as we're able. To our listeners, we say. Stay strong, stay healthy, stay sane, and even while physically distant, stay connected. We will get through this. There will be a time when cinemas will open again, when work will resume, when life will be something approximating normal again. Heck, if we survive Justin Bieber in one direction, we can survive anything. <laughs> You're going to annoy some fans out there, Paul. <laughs> I think also just an important Is thing. Is there much of a Venn diagram between us and... One Direction and uh, you never know. I haven't looked at the stats, <laughs> but I think also just an important thing is it's especially in times like this that we need art and we yes. need we need um, we need community. So stay tuned to Triple R. This is kind of where we're hoping to, you know, focus on those things for yep. the next hour and ongoing. <laughs> we'll see what's going on inside Alison Bree's head in the Netflix original film Horse Girl. Flick plunges us into the gloriously twisted mind <laughs> of Pedro Almodovar as we check out his 2011 classic, The Skin I Live In. 
And we will follow Amy Ryan as she searches for her missing daughter in the Netflix original film Lost Girls, an unsolved American mystery. But first, it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. With nations throughout the world shutting down so-called non-essential services in an attempt to contain the spread of the COVID-19 novel coronavirus. Why do they call it novel coronavirus? Do we have any idea? Um, no. Is, <laughs> Should have looked this up before yeah. we got on air. Is it, no, is it like, a, you know, is it like, is it because it's different or is it just, you know, I don't know. It feels weird. It's like it's how like... they call um, King Charles Cavalier Spaniels. Is that... <laughs> I always think, like, are they a little bit cheekier than normal normal Spaniels? <laughs> Who knows? It's got to, yeah. It always feels like a book I should be reading. I, I, I could chip in and uh, tell you. Killer Carl Chapman has a solution. Uh, the actual virus is SARS-CoV-2, right? which is the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome uh, Coronavirus number 2. It's a derivative of the original SARS virus. Right. Um, a sequel, some And that say. gives rise to the disease, which is COVID, coronavirus ah. disease 19. Whether that means it's the 19th iteration, I don't know. But right. Yeah, so what we're, what we're all worried about is catching the illness, the disease, which is COVID-19, caused by COVID-2. Mm, okay. And novel? Well, just new. I just think it's a new variation, okay, basically. Sure. Well, so you can tell that we're in, like, really different times when Carl decides to come on air. We're always trying to push you to, get, to chip into our film reviews and you stay silent, so... Well, I should yeah. be silent, really, but I just feel it's just <laughs> no, the three of us here and no. we're all sort of just banding together. So. <laughs> no, I like it. I feel like we should get more of this. Dise- you can be our fact checker. <laughs> yeah. Diseases are Carl's, you know, hot button. That's, like, that's, where, he, that's where he shines. Uh, scientific Dropping scientific knowledge. Um, so in an attempt to contain the spread, cinemas are finding themselves a key casualty. With word coming down from, uh, from all cinema chains this morning that um, as of about midday um, earlier today, all movie theatres will be closed effective immediately for a period of approximately six months. This follows this week's announcement that the Cannes Film Festival will be postponed by at least a couple of months, and probably more, and that the film Sydney Film Festival will not go ahead in 2020. These closures, as well as productions all over the globe being shut down or postponed, is set to deliver a devastating blow over the next year to the film and TV business, with an initial survey of 60 Australian screen productions conducted by Screen Producers Australia, which estimates a $387 million loss in the short term and a $2 billion loss for the sector in the longer term. It's insane. With tens of thousands of job losses as well as lost export revenue, halted distribution channels and venue closures. And if this newscaster could recommend one small thing, this is all proof to please, please, please not illegally download your movies during this time of self-isolation. You can watch films for free on SBS On Demand or on services like Tubi, spelt T-U-B-I, or Canopy, where you can stream films online with your local library ID, or subscribe to Amazon Prime or Netflix or Stan or, yes, even Disney+. Plus. You can rent or buy films at, at affordable prices on, um, via YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and many more. It's like 3 to $5 for a rental. Um, and check out the internet. Lots of creators are releasing their content for free for folks who are housebound during this bizarre time. Hell, even my partner and I have made our first feature film, Trench, available to watch for free via Vimeo. I think that's what's really exciting about this is that um, the ways in which people are responding, particularly artists and, and filmmakers in the industry, how they're, they're making their work available. And I think that's, I don't know, we're all going to be home probably for a while yeah. and 
good time to catch up on local content, you know, support our industry. Absolutely. So, and I know that Mark Hartley has released uh, his three uh, former, he used to do Film Buffs Forecast here a lot. He's released his three documentaries, uh, Not Quite Hollywood, um, Machete Maidens Unleashed, and uh, Electric Boogaloo, the history of Canon films, oh, for awesome. free online. Yeah. So, yeah, heaps of people are doing it. Just, yeah, have a search, have a look. You really don't need to download stuff illegally. There's tons of stuff out there available for free or for very little. And we're probably going to see a shift as well in how people are accessing films. Of course, people are going to go to streaming services. And people being able to put stuff on, up online. So yeah. it's going to, the next six months are going to be an interesting time. Very interesting. But we will also welcome cinema back with our open arms once cinemas reopen. Kelly Carl Chapman looks like he's got something else. There's another great local film that you might like to see for free. It's only available for a couple of weeks on Vimeo. And uh, it's called Trench. <laughs> just, just, uh, just look it up. That's what I'm saying. Look it up. We're not getting paid for this. We, uh, we just really want you to see Trench. I don't have them at gunpoint, I swear. Uh, and almost paradoxically, in what might be the most challenging time in the history of the medium, today is the one, or actually the 22nd. It's today overseas. Work it out. 22nd of March, 125 years ago, uh, the Lumiere brothers released their first film, Aww, Workers wow. Leaving the Lumiere Factory to the Public, a date that's often cited, in spite of the efforts of Thomas Edison's, Edison's efforts a year earlier, as the birth date of cinema. Yeah. So happy 125th birthday cinema. I've got to say the coronavirus is a pretty shitty 125th <laughs> birthday present. Uh, we all look forward to cinemas bouncing back for a massive recovery once this crisis is under control at year's end. Yeah, yeah. And also I think, you know, good chance to go back to the retros. There's such a temptation to just check out what's on the movies, but, you know, there's a whole host of films online. Oh, yeah. There's a wealth of cinema history ready to be rediscovered and we hope to direct a lot of you to it. Yeah, yeah. But now, let's see what's on in your streaming TVs. (laughs) Do you believe in alien abductions? People always said that my grandma was so crazy. Now I think that she wasn't crazy at all because I'm feeling it. Horse Girl is the fourth narrative feature by Jeff Boehner, uh, starring Alison Brie uh, as Sarah, a socially awkward woman with a fondness for arts and crafts, horses and supernatural crime shows, who finds her increasingly lucid dreams trickling into her waking life. Flick, did you find Horse Girl to be a fast-finishing odds-on favourite or a nag that's probably still running? (laughs) I love that both because I'm such a fan of puns and also I'm a bit of a horse girl myself, so <laughs> love it. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> I watched this last night um, and I don't know, I'm kind of still getting my head around it. It's got a lot in it. It's kind of yeah. – um, I was thinking it just reminds me – I feel like it would fit into that whole mumblecore genre of sci-fi that um, – I was thinking it kind of remind me a little bit about uh, of sorry um, Zal Batmanjili's um, sci-fi ah, films with Sound Britt of Marley. My Voice, yeah, and, and yep. Another Earth, um, those sorts of films where they've got a real focus on relationships and really naturalistic acting and dialogue. Um, often it's improvised. It's mm. usually got a really low budget, um, which is interesting combination to be done with sci-fi, which often would have a lot higher budget. Yeah, um, and this emphasis over 
dialogue over plot, which is interesting, again, to pair that with sci-fi or fantasy where that's usually the reverse. So I kind of love this whole mumblecore hybrids that we're seeing. I don't know. I think that's really a 2000s Yeah. Well, funny, this is produced by the Duplass brothers. Yes. As soon as I saw Duplass, I was like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) I know what that would be. (laughs) Yeah. I'm always a little happy to see that. But they also produced exactly two of the films that you're talking about. Mm. The One I Love with Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. Love that film. Same. (laughs) Such a great film. More people need to see that. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, maybe it could be a retro at some point. And Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. They have, yeah. I think as soon as you see Duplass brothers, like either Jay or... um, Mark. Oh my god, Mark! Thank you. Yeah. Um, you, yeah, you kind of know what kind of tone it's going to have, and mm. and definitely, even though he, um, the director is um, Jeff Boehner and um, Alison Brie helped with the writing. They co-wrote well. it. Co-wrote I it. Yeah, believe, that's right. Um, I believe they're real life partners. Oh, they're possibly okay, married there you go. in real life, and yeah, yeah, they're a bit of a filmmaking team now. It seems. Yeah, both produced kind of, and both wrote. Yeah, it kind of seems like a very. I kind of liked the a lot of the dialogue in this film, so I thought it was. Um, the trailer kind of makes it seem like it's going to be funnier, I think, than it is. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more kooky and spooky yeah. <laughs> than altogether uh, <laughs> yes, than you'd think. Like I think that I had the idea that it'd be funnier. Yeah. Um. There are, having said that, a lot of the dialogue is quite humorous. There's a lot of moments in this film that are just odd and. I, th- I found it interesting. I did do a little bit of research and Brie, um, Alison Brie did base the script um, on her own family's history with oh, paranoid really? schizophrenia yeah, and depression. So it has got that very emotional anchor to it. And I did see aspects of that in the film and there were moments that I was like, wow, this is really interesting, especially the way in which they communicate this young woman's um, maybe uh, lucid- lucidity or like mm. this – through the formal um, through formal technique. So yes. you'll see a change in the colour schemes. Um, it's really interesting that they use this kind of peach colour for a lot of the dream sequences and then when she returns back to, to reality, it has a much more of a grey tone. Yeah. And I'm really obsessed with colour yeah. theory in film and I think there's a whole – this is a great film to explore for that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They, they switch between the mm. two colour palettes because there's this bluish, greyish – that's for when she's together and, yes. and, as you say, more lucid. And Peach, which is introduced in the film as something that's meant to be calming, yeah. is when she's losing it. Yeah, and I think that it is and, – oh, and also just on that point, that sort of those two different mental states that mm. she um, goes between, oscillates between, uh, is also through the sound design. So yes. the sound design is amazing in this film and some great music musical pieces in it. I was really like, wow, I have to look into what they've actually featured in it. I think it was an original score that was yeah. produced for this film. Uh, so it is really smartly uh, communicated in the formal sense and there's obviously a lot of work that's been done in how they're going to communicate um, this young woman's, you know, mental health issues. Mm. I think that I didn't feel... I felt like it lacked a bit of momentum and often seemed a bit repetitive in segments. Mm. And I also found that it was unsettling, but I'm not sure about the conclusions and not to give any spoilers, Mm. but I'm not sure about the conclusions that it reached about mental health. And I found that a bit disappointing because I thought there was a real opportunity, especially with the dialogue and these characters, like they do give a lot of depth to that, these characters. And Mm. I just didn't think that there was... They had they had moments of real potential, and I'm not sure overall whether whether it worked. 
So I liked a lot of scenes. Yeah. I'm not sure if I liked the film though. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I I liked that it wasn't it didn't feel reductive or insulting about no, mental health, which was no. which was a relief. Cause a I, surprise because yeah. it's like such a com- common sort of trend, I think, to 100%. be like, oh, they're crazy, or, or to use to use like mental health illnesses in a really like just either incorrectly mm. or in a very reductive way, as you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Or as a plot device yeah. or whatever. And yeah. um, there's I, – I found myself being super engaged by mm. the first three quarters of this movie. Yes, yep. I really – like I love the way it revealed information. Mm. Like everything – like nothing is ever really explained. It's just by kind of – you're piecing it all together as she's meeting with people. It's, it's very much by observing her character and the people that come within uh, in and out of her life mm. that you start to get pictures of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, somebody will make an offhand comment about something like her mother or whatever. Mm. And, and and you're not quite – you kind of go, okay, well, this must denote this and and then, you know, through her perception of reality as well. Um, it's um, – and, and it does walk a nice fine line between comedy and tragedy, like her obsession with a, um, a crime TV show that's been reenacted, <laughs> like an How X-Files great? style show. With How ro- great was the show? Was purgatory. <laughs> Uh, they the... captured that perfectly as well. It's like I feel like I know this show, and then like two people, Matthew Greg Gubler and Robin Tunney, have like been in like cruddy cat cop shows and yeah. stuff as well. They were really so it's well like cast. They're clearly, like yeah, we know the territory, um, and that was that was really funny. And I thought that was a nice way to give that levity without yeah. mocking her or her condition or anything like that. Yeah. It was just this trashy show that's like a show we've all seen or watched at some point. And the point that she uses it to get through a difficult time it's like oh mate such a hard relate there <laughs> you're like i'm watching trash and i know that but i'm fragile right now and i need this <laughs> yeah and she's just um and it's so and i think one thing you probably would have appreciated with the with the film too for the first two thirds it's very awkward a yeah, lot of the times i love an awkward awkward exchange <laughs> so like you just and you are you're really rooting for her to be okay and be yeah. get through things and, and like there's and then when her um, kind of her re, you know her reality starts becoming more elastic and her sort of you know conditioning begins, it's it becomes quite moving at times and mm. quite harrowing, which I was quite surprised by as well. The last half hour kind of does go into more into her own head, I think, yeah, and I yep. I think once we start getting to that point, I begin to care less. Yeah, me too. Um, which is a bit of a shame because I, mm. I, I was really, really digging this film. It's from – Boehner has directed films like um, – he made The Little Hours a few years ago. Oh, which that's right. Myth, the yeah, the yeah. three um, uh, misbehaving nuns. Um, <laughs> there was also Life After Beth with Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, I didn't see that. Was that good? I was not a fan. Mm. Um, when she was a, 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 a zombie. Um, yeah, so he's got this sort of interesting background and, and this is – Feels like the most mature film he's made to this point. Mm. Um, also, didn't he? He wrote I Heart Huckabees. He co wrote it, yeah. Co wrote it with, um, with David O. Russell. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, I feel so, like that film just now gets remembered for the footage of oh, David yeah. O. Russell yelling at Lily Tomlin. <laughs> it's, is, a, yeah. it's actually a really terrific <laughs> film. I remember really doing it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, great, great script. Yeah. He's got. Yeah. He's just really, um, yeah. He's an interesting guy, but yeah, I, I, th- I think this film tries something really interesting and takes, and and, and takes um, an intriguing a- approach to the way it, it, its story unfolds and the way it gets into its character's head. But and it's not completely within her her um, uh, p- 
perception either. Like you mm. sort of see it from some of the characters outside as well, and, and it's got a great cast as well. And Paul Reiser and Molly Shannon, and, yeah, um, a lot of great character actors turn up. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I think this is definitely. I, I, that's the thing. I, I want to recommend it to people on Netflix, but at the same time, I feel like. Between that last half hour, I just feel like people are going to be left a little bit flat by it. Yeah, I agree. I, it's, it's maybe watch it for Bree's performance. So she's mm. going to be in Promising Young Woman, which is has that is that delayed now? Yeah, 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 I, yeah. Th- I thought so. That was meant to come out this year. Right. Um, but she's not the because the lead in that is no, Carrie no, Mulligan. No. Yeah, 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 she, yeah, she just features in. She's got a supporting role in that, mm. um, and she's in the Netflix series Glow. She's of course in Community, and she's also I forgot about this, but Trudy Campbell in Mad Men. Yes, so yes. she's she's a really <laughs> interesting actor, and I think she does seem to generate a huge amount of sympathy for her character because it is it is kind of a dorky character. I actually mm. feel like I. I really um, I feel like she was reminding me in small parts a bit too much of myself and I was like, oh, I don't really like watching this. This is, <laughs> this is uncomfortable. But um, she's just very like smiley and dorky and, um, yeah, I don't know. This, she's an interesting actor. I think that it, I'd like to see her try something a bit different hmm. in the future but I think this is a good good I, role. Yeah, I think Real this is meaty. certainly different from what she's done before. I mean, there's yeah. a little bit awkward but um, – I love that she's – something from this and from what I've seen of Glow, mm. she's not afraid of nudity, which I really admire yeah, in yeah. an actor nowadays because so many actors seem scared of it. And yeah, she is like if the, if the material head's there, she will go there. And there's a moment in this that's actually the saddest moment in the movie. Yeah, that was really cr- – actually, it's interesting because I – think about it last night. I was like, okay, I don't really like this film. But when we're thinking – when you were mentioning before about quite har- quite how harrowing it is – there's, it's really got some very strong representations of that moment of uh, the breakdown, mm. and I, I think that that often gets glamorized in film, and it's a shame because it's you know, I feel like they do it in a way that is very uncomfortable. Yes, but possibly more real for mm. what people's experiences would be, and the people around them trying to yeah. handle it. In the- the best way they can and yeah. not always succeeding at And that. those kind of missed connections as well. I thought that the date was another, you know, yeah. we were talking about the bad dates yes. from last week. I'm like, <laughs> this one could be added to it. There's some real <laughs> awkward dating moments. <laughs> it's, it's becoming a bit of a festival. But yeah, yeah. so true. But I, no, I, I think there's a lot to like here, but it doesn't quite fully stick Yeah, out. and we possibly had high hopes. I remember we were chatting Oh, yep. Beforehand, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> maybe check it out. You yeah, got, you got a, you got a while. <laughs> where where else are you going to be? Uh, Horse Girl is now streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Uh, you're back with Primal Screen on Triple R. Uh, you're here. Uh, we're here with. Uh, just what's my notes? Uh, here with myself, Paul Anthony Nelson, and uh, on the other mic, uh, more than a meter and a half away, is Slick Flick, uh, <laughs> Slick Flick Ford. Not so slick at the moment. No, just no, that, stumbled over that. That was meant to be a lot more <laughs> slick, DJ Slick Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. That was the way it was meant to come out, All listeners. Right, we'll just edit it later. Yeah, correct that. <laughs> Just before I jump into the skin I live in, uh, 
as we acknowledged at the top of the show, we're all struggling a bit right now, and with everyone uncertain about where they're going to find the money to support themselves over the next few months, Triple R is no different. Uh, we've already begun to lose crucial sponsorship revenue due to the coronavirus crisis, and with more surely to come. As services like community radio stay on air to keep you all connected uh, during this challenging time, Triple R's upcoming April amnesty has genuinely never been more important to the survival of our station. We're committed to remaining your companion throughout this period of social distancing and isolation and continuing to support others affected by the crisis and the people and causes that matter. So if, you're, if you manage to find yourself still in a position to afford to support us, please consider digging as deep as you can and consider subscribing, renewing your subscription or just donating to Triple R this April and you will also go into the draw for some amazing prices if you, describe, if you subscribe during April Amnesty as well. Yeah. So, sorry, I didn't have anything to add. No, that was so no, eloquent that I <laughs> was just listening for a moment there. I am a subscriber myself and I forgot that I'm also on air right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, as a subscriber, this appeals. But, yeah, we understand also, you know, if it's too difficult, please don't, you know, yeah. feed yourself and your families first. Or even, um, just, or even just sharing. Like, yeah, I think that, yeah. you know, a lot of people, if, you know, if there's someone that doesn't know about us or doesn't, you know, currently subscribe and, and might be interested, you know, just to share. Or pitch in a little together and yeah. put it under a pet's name, you know, under <laughs> a bunch of people. Uh, so that's coming up in April. Back to the skin I live in. From 2011, it was the 18th theatrical feature film directed by Pedro Almodovar, based on a novel with the English name of Tarantula by Thierry Jonquet. It's the story of a brilliant plastic surgeon, played by Antonio Banderas, who's obsessively working on creating a synthetic skin that withstands any kind of damage. At the heart of his creation is the Doctor's guinea pig, Vera, played by Elena Anaya, a mysterious and volatile woman who holds the key to the surgeon's obsession. (laughs) Flick. What made this your retro pick? Um, So this film for me was such a turning point in my building cinema literacy. It was a film that I was introduced to during my undergrad, um... Would it have been my undergrad? I can't quite work out the timing. But it was uh, either way, it was when I was perhaps doing starting my honours thesis or finishing up my undergrad in film. And mm. it just changed my perspective on film. It really was one of those key films in my in my learning time where I was just like, Whoa, this is this is a game changer. It it has such a the narrative itself is focused in on image and mm. the way in which we decide to slice up that image or we decide to try to control or possess that image. And I think that it worked in so well with all of these theories that I was learning about in how we can understand cinema. And often like cinema is referred to as a skin. So the way in which we seek tactility through cinema and we feel things through cinema and um, – the the surface level of cinema and I really I love all the the poetic sort of ways of thinking about film and this was like a, a film itself that captured a lot of that so it was a wonderful intersection of theory and artistry mm. um and I I don't actually I'm not a massive Moldovar fan <gasps> actually I know shocking I think shut that, your mouth <laughs> I know, I'm like, instantly have to, to leave the primal screen team. No, I, I think that previously I wasn't like a massive fan. I, I, I'd watched, I've watched a lot of his films. I really love like uh, Talk to Her and um, uh, 
um, Volva and I'm trying to think of all the other ones. Julieta, I really enjoyed. Mm. But my favourite of last year was Pain and Glory. Yes. And I just, I had this sensation of, I just want to return back to some of the really key films of his that I enjoyed so much. And just to kind of have a comparison almost to Pain and Glory to this. So mm. um, it was one that, it's just always been there. I can't, I think that it's such, it's quite a shocking film. And I remember being so upset by a particular scene in this film where, He's wearing. I'm trying to remember whether it's an actual tiger outfit. There yes, is two. It's a tiger outfit. Yeah, and, but there's another one earlier as well. There's that one with the tiger outfit, mm-hmm. and there's also one where it's like a tiger print uh, dressing gown. And mm. there's this whole um, use of. I mean, Moldova has such a close attention to visual detail, and that sort of sense. I mean, it might seem like an obvious thing, but that animalism mm. behind that of the characters, how they're acting, and the the shocking abuse that's inflicted, but also. Mm. This kind of sil- silky um, animal print material—it's kind of fascinating, and I love all those that that intersection of. Um, I think you know, in all honesty, I feel like he has a lot of those themes of pain and glory in the skin I live in, yes. and you can just see it in a more um, stylized way mm. in this earlier film, and uh, I still prefer Pain and Glory, but yep. this is just, I think it's just an exceptional piece of, of cinema. It really is like, it, it's a defining film for me. Of cinema. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like it was a defining film for you in your, yeah, as you say, your film education. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, this, I'm a huge El Motivar fan and mm. this is possibly my favourite of his works. It's up there with, there's a lot that sort of, vi- I feel like he's like the the master of the high four star film, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever given any of his films a four and a half or a five, but like they're, um, but like two thirds of them are fours. And he's so like, prolific, isn't so he? so great. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like 20 films. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, yeah, it's just, I. there's a part of me, I, I found this film kind of delicious at the time because I feel like this film was, El Motivar looking over at Park Sham walking, going, Yeah, I see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, this feels like his riff on a Park Sham revenge movie. You know? Yeah. Um, as, you know, his, the, the, um, as something going on with, uh, with Vera and, 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 El Mot- and uh, Antonio Banderas's surgeon's kind of relationship to her and what exactly mm. that is and what that turns out to be and why she wants to escape so much is mm. gradually kind of comes out. Um, yeah, I think Almodovar's always exquisite. His films are always exquisite to look at and listen to, and he's always dealing with um, surfaces and mm. lots of uh, lots of color psychology. And yeah, and, and yep. he's a beautiful kind of filmmaker's filmmaker in that way. Yeah, and also very referential to films of the past. Like you know, there's nods to everything from Eyes Without a Face mm. here to you know um, to Hitchcock to. Uh, dare I say, Korean uh, cinema of the 2000s. Um, there's And there's a wonderful sort of – it's very contained. There's not many actors in this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's that one character in the tiger suit who sort of is the catalyst for the whole thing, but he's actually quite a minor character. He's so scary though. I he remember is. watching it and I felt sick. I actually feel sick. Even thinking about that yeah. scene, I feel ill. He's <laughs> horrific. Yeah. Um, but you know he comes in and he kind of throws a wrecking ball through this this setup that this yeah. doctor has, and then from yeah. there they all have to you know the the do, um, the doctor Vera and the maid have to kind of renegotiate their uh, their lives and what mm. what their relationship is. You've got me thinking about what you were talking about before about the what you found in the film and the mm. uh, cinema as a skin and 
like you've got me thinking like this, he's literally trying to perfect this skin and mm. she's buck, bracing and buckling under that. It's yeah. almost like a director trying to perfect yeah. a shot and perfect the film and the actor's just like, no, screw you, I'm going to do what yeah. I, you know, I, I can't be caged by this. I have my own, you know, personality and, and needs. Yeah, and, and the opportunity for the body to be a side of, of – um war almost mm. like it's really I love that and I love the gendered aspect of it as yes. well I think that's really powerful yeah and I, and again not treated in, a, in an offensive or exploitative way which was you know even though a, a twist on this hinge, hinges on um, a, a gender thing I uh, don't want to say too much. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've had since twenty eleven to see this film, but I agree. Nine no years, spoilers. yeah. Some some might not run into it. <laughs> um, like it's just incredibly, yeah, it's incredibly clever and inventive and um, very gorgeous, and yeah, and and has lots of layers to really dig into. Mm. Um, but even if you just want to watch it as kind of a an exquisite, uh, an exquisite horror thriller with some comedic touches. You could do a lot worse than The Skin I Live In. <laughs> so The Skin I Live In is now streaming on SBS On Demand and it is also uh, it's also available to rental buy on YouTube Rentals and iTunes. You are listening to Triple R and Primal Screen. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Uh, you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flickford and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, join us at a distance of no less than 1.5 metres <laughs> on the couch for our final film of the evening. This is my daughter, Shannon Maria Gilbert. There's one here for every day that she's missing. Lost Girls, an unsolved American mystery subtitle optional, uh, is the debut feature film from acclaimed documentary director Liz Garbus. Based on actual events, when a girl named Shannon Gilbert disappears, her mother, Mari, played by Amy Ryan, starts looking for answers, but police inaction drives her own investigation into the gated Long Island community where Shannon was last seen. Her search brings attention to over a dozen murdered sex workers. Flick. Did you, uh, did you find this lost? I, <laughs> yep. No, no, it's not. Insert pun here. Yeah. Um, I found it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> found it on the streaming service. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that, um, I feel like this is an interesting lineup that we've got on tonight's show because both Lost Girls and, um, actually all films, and I was going to say Horse Girl, but also, um, The Skin I Live In, mm. deal with this question of, of power, um, being either um, misused mm. or having um, sort of your own reality um, questioned by those around you and kind of having a difference of opinion there. And I feel like they all kind of had a, a thread of that going through them. I watched this this afternoon and uh, I'm a big fan of Liz Garber as a yep. documentarian and I had very high hopes for this. I particularly was moved by her documentary, The Farm, Angola, USA. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw that one. It's a really powerful film about um, the Angola prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that she has a really strong sense of ethics and a really strong sense of justice. And so this this uh, story of the Long Island um, serial killer fits in with her sort of brand yep. and and I can understand why she was drawn to this project, especially as like her debut feature film. Mm. 
Having said that, I feel like it's a little too safe mm. um, and perhaps she was wary of being wanting to be respectful to the families and mm. wanting to be um, mindful of not like making this a salacious sort of um, uh, story or to go into, um, you know, presenting sex workers in a particular light and things like that. So mm. I think that she goes quite safe formally and um, it's a very, I think, straightforward detective thriller. Having said that, I the performances really stand out. Like Amy Ryan is wonderful and Gabrielle Byrne I just adore. Also Thomas and McKenzie who we would have seen earlier in uh, Jojo Rabbit. And last year, and uh, Leave No Trace. Leave yeah, No Trace. From the year before. I adore Thomas and McKenzie. I could just like – I'm so excited for her career as a young actor. Um, I think that there's a lot going on there. Um, sorry, sorry there's, there's a, lot a going, weird <laughs> lot going on in the studio right now. Yeah, I don't know I might what's just going on with close the fuzz. The door with a, my elbow. One yeah, second. Sure. Just... Yes. No worries. Uh, we're. Oh no, it's stopped. I think. I think the coffee machine or whatever is stopped from outside the. Yes. Now let's uh, g- uh, keep on. Um, <laughs> nothing yes, to see here. <laughs> nothing to see here. Just you know, community radio. Please God, keep us afloat. <laughs> Um, sorry, so I was just going to say, yes. very strong performances in Lost Girls mm-hmm. um, and got a very interesting story and I think that I can understand why this is uh, a story that, that Garba was attracted to. I'm just not sure that I loved it. I mm. don't know if it was a standout for me, but I think I'm just being a bit picky because last week we had so many great films that I feel like my standard of like what I want to get from the screen was like super high and I was like, no, oh, this is just fine. Yeah. Is that a bit harsh? You're looking at me like I've I've stabbed you. <laughs> no, I don't think you're being harsh. Okay. I don't think you're being harsh enough. Oh, really? Okay. I'm usually um, <laughs> like just raining on someone's prey. Yeah. No, okay. This film was Dullsville. I really, Okay, I'm glad you said that. I really <laughs> didn't like this film. I thought it was like because I'm watching in the afternoon, I was like, Flick, you should have watched it at night and you should be paying more attention. Yeah. But I was double screening the whole time because yeah. I was like, I'm just not into it. No, no. It's, okay. it's easy to you lose made interest. Me feel better. It's uh, like it's shot in the. It's one of those films that, like, even the opening shot of the girl running away from the car, he's looking at it going, you know, some films you know from the opening shot, this is not going to be good. <laughs> it's one of those. And I just. And it just went from there. I. I. I'm sorry to say, like, Amy Ryan is an actor I normally have a lot of time for. I love her in The Office. I've loved her in other films like Gone Baby Gone. Um, The Wire. The Wire, of course. (laughs) Um, I thought she was pretty bad in this. I thought she was really overwrought. Yeah, I wondered if it oh, – maybe I'm, be, I'm being way too kind, but I thought that might have been the characters because the character yeah, see, that's seems the thing. a I, bit of a – Yeah, no, I agree. I, I just feel like she was miscast. She seemed like she was really well, forcing the working class yeah. thing. You know who was meant to be playing her? Sarah Paulson. Yes. Was that her? I think Jeez, that was I the – I, mean, I think that was the – yeah. I don't know if that would have been any better. Like I just feel like mm. you, you kind of need a um, – uh, like a, just a more like rough hewn kind of energy for this, and and mm. yeah, I just feel like she didn't she didn't nail that at all. I felt like I liked Thomas and Mackenzie a lot. I was I was blown away by Thomas and Mackenzie in so Leave No Trace. Yeah, yeah. Like that film just broke me into, and I thought she was brilliant in it. I feel like she's getting in danger of like I want to see another volume. I feel like she's given a very similar performance in all three movies. Yeah, I think that that's a that's such an easy trap to fall into, particularly as a young actor. Mm. I I think I just was um, 
thinking that for the role I got a better sense of her character than any of the that's, other characters. That's probably fair. That's probably like, fair. Even Gabrielle Byrne, I was like... He seems I, to be sleepwalking through uh, the film. Like, I, I love even, Gabrielle Byrne as even well. Even sleepwalking Gabrielle Byrne is still good, though, which is just yeah. like... That really says a lot about his acting. Like, I adore him. But... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad that you backed that up because I wasn't 100% sure as to whether – I don't know. I actually got confused about the case itself. Did yep. you feel like there was information about the case that made you understand what was going on? Because I feel like the detectives, there wasn't really any sense of progression with the case, which no. might be the point of it. But yeah. I was also just like, I don't understand. I thought particularly Dean Winters' character, I thought they were almost – comically opposed to anything she wanted to do. Like, it just seemed like... Was they that were just the like, dodgy guy he, like, yeah. brought in? and it's just like, what are you talking about? Why don't you get out of here? What's the matter with you? Where do you want... It's like, it just seemed really <laughs> over the top. It's like, were they this openly dismissive? Like, when you compare it to something like Unbelievable, yeah, this Netflix series yeah, from last yeah, yeah. year, where the cops are equally dismissive, but they're so much more, you know... Not subtle about it, but they're they're much more like hiding behind. Oh, we'll see. There's just no evidence. I'll see. There's just no thing. Like in when they really should listen. And this, it just seemed like really first draft kind of lines. <laughs> like, why don't you get out of here and let the cops do their job? You know, I just like almost none of this works for me. I, the uh, the only thing I liked. Um, Lola Kirk, um, who plays Kim, she plays one of – she's from Mistress America with with um, Greta Gerwig. She was in Gone Girl. Oh. She's in Mozart in the Jungle. She just seemed to be uh, – she plays uh, her sister as a sex worker and she's oh, one she of was well. great. She's like a breath of yes. fresh air whenever she enters the film. She really is, yeah. I liked her a lot as well. It's a shame because I feel like the story itself – like, of course, it's, yeah. a, it's a real – life case mm. um, and also just the the way in which police might respond to someone, you know, the prejudice of yes. like responding to victims. And I thought that that was a really powerful statement. It's a shame that it does get so muddled in this film because mm. there's a moment when they, they go to the community where the, the bodies were found and they call the police and the police arrive in like 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah, or something. and it took and them they, an hour to yeah. arrive for the girl that went missing. And just the way in which sex workers um, would would face and, and do yeah. face a lot of discrimination from from police and from um, people of authority where they're trying to get help. And I thought that that was a really powerful idea, but yeah. um, it didn't come across that well. See, I didn't like the way this film treated sex work. Yeah, what it was your... It felt very yeah. anti. It felt like sex work is something you only do when you're desperate and it's the worst fate a person yeah. could possibly face. And the minute, like, when the the other girl starts going, like, oh, no, why is she doing that? Like, it just seemed like... it just That seemed was a weird bit. And also the Really bit when... down on sex work in and a Thomas... way that made me uncomfortable. Yeah, and Thomas and Mackenzie's character, so she's, I think her... She's meant to be maybe 14 or 15 mm. or maybe younger. And she has a line where she's like, I didn't know that she was... A prostitute. And I just thought, like, her reaction, like, this is her sister that she's talking about. Mm. I just thought that was a bit strange because she otherwise was very supportive of her sister and very – and I I found, like, that was an odd – yeah, it was an odd tone. I wasn't sure – I don't know. There's some lines in it that kind of Mm. try to – balance that out but it's a bit of a it's a bit of an odd combination it's not clear on what its politics are yeah like it seemed very pro victims but not terribly pro sex work yeah that's a good way of putting it and that's it was just kind of made me very uncomfortable Mm. and and felt very uh, yeah i don't know 
very middle American in that way. But, but you know, and, and maybe that's in respect to the mother, that maybe that's what her attitude was. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's probably a tough line to walk, but I, it left me feeling very uncomfortable in a film that already had me offside in terms of just not being very good. Boring. It, yeah, and boring. It, it just kind of and, – and that's the thing. Like, and, and, her char- and Amy Ryan's character is very uh, conflicted and, and there was some interesting There's, stuff to dig yeah, in there and it yeah. didn't go there because, again, probably out of respect, just felt very neutered. Yeah, and I think too respectful. Mm, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'm all for stomp stomp over that ground. Yeah. Because at a certain point it's just like you're also trying to capture, draw attention to the case yeah. and to, to, to not only talk about this case but talk about all the different cases that for sex workers who w- would more likely be um, put at risk of these sorts of crimes yeah. to, to kind of give them a voice as well. So, yeah, yeah. It, it has kind of <laughs> done a pretty terrible job of that. I feel like watch Unbelievable and the documentary Tales of the Grim Sleeper instead. Uh, or, sort of between or, them. Yeah, or seek out Garber's earlier work. Ah, the documentary stick the, work. Stick with their docos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what what happened, Miss Simone, which is on Netflix? Mm. Um, what, there's something Bobby wrong with Aunt Hibs. Diane, Bobby Fisher against the world, Love Marilyn. There's quite a few. Yeah, check them out. So, Lost Girls, an unsolved American mystery, is now scre- streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. You can listen to Triple R anywhere, anytime at 102.7 FM, and also on your DAB Plus radio at three RRR Digital. You can go to rrr.org.au to stream live. Or listen back to any show, anytime through our on-demand service. Tune in your smartphone or tablet via the Triple R app. Subscribe to our podcasts through your favourite podcatcher. Or ask your smart speaker to play Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson, with the occasional appearance by Killer Carl Chapman. (laughs) On tonight's show, we discussed Horse Girl, currently streaming on Netflix, The Skin I Live In, currently streaming on SBS On Demand or to rent or buy on YouTube and iTunes, and Lost Girls, also now streaming on Netflix. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. And you can also check us out on Facebook. Next week, we'll be presenting the first in a kind of a sporadic ongoing series. I think for the next few weeks, it's going to be a bit of a work in progress. But a sporadic ongoing series of themed specials looking at films currently available on streaming and rental platforms to entertain you during your self-isolation. And our first focus will be on all Australian films. Yeah, so, I'm really excited about that one. Awesome. Uh, and, you <laughs> Is know, that the, your Australian the, accent? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. It's like when you hear Mel Gibson or somebody like, like trying to do an Australian accent now and it just sounds awful. Like it's yeah, just like, it's so you've true. been out too long. I don't know how, why my mind went there. Um, but yes, it might be a sub theme under that. It might be best, like you know, Australian yeah. certain kind of Australian we're, films. We're workshopping certain, it. We are we'll, via you know. video chats. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's meetings. Uh, so tune in next week for that. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast. Killer Carl Chapman for panelling our show, and Lisa Kavacevic for producing our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 